spend our bulk of our time in chapter 2, but I want to introduce a few things in chapter 1 along the way before we get there. Now, I've been sharing with you all the good things God is doing in our church, and our church is growing, and a lot of positive things that are going on right now, but that's not the case with the majority of churches in America today. And so we are very blessed that God is moving here, but I shared with you last week a troubling statistic that 80% of all of our churches are either plateaued or, or dying. The churches are not growing. In fact, a lot of them are, are, are declining. And uh, some other sobering statistics I came across this week that I want to share with you about the modern church in America. 4,000 new churches begin each year. And we say, wow, that's a great thing. 4,000 new churches. However, 7,000 churches close their door every year. So we're losing 3,000 churches every year. Also, 50% of ministers starting out will not last five years. That's troubling. Half of all ministers that begin in the ministry will not make it through five years. Also said uh, 1,700 pastors left the ministry every month last year. 1,700 pastors left the ministry last month. Uh, every month last year. This was from 2011, by the way, so that number could be even more now. also read that 1,300 pastors were terminated by the local church each month, many without cause, um, which is troubling. But also, this is really sad, too. Uh, over 3,500 people a day left the church last year. 3,500 people every day leaving the church. And so the church in America is in trouble. Now, a lot of people will give the solution, we need to be a New Testament church. And that sounds well and good, but my question is this, which New Testament church? Well, let's, let's look at it for a second. The church in Philippi had conflict. The church in Colossae had heresy. The church in Laodicea, we were told by Christ, was so lukewarm, he wanted to spew them out of his mouth. There was legalism in Galatia, and then there was Corinth. We don't even want to talk about what was going on in Corinth. A big mess. So a New Testament church. Now, I think what is meant by people saying that is that we need to get back to the early church that was pictured in Acts chapter 2. Because that seems to be the gold standard for what God would, would expect and what God wants a church to be. And now we are going to touch on just briefly this morning what's going on in Acts chapter 2 because we are moving on in our series about the church acting with purpose. We're going to see the church was focusing on and putting priority on six different purposes today. And then over the next few weeks we're going to unpack each one throughout the book of Acts and see what made the church so successful Last week our new mission statement was unveiled and we have that for us today on a PowerPoint screen uh, to remind us what that was. We said Ephesus Baptist Church exists to glorify God. How do we do that? By obeying the great commandments and by fulfilling the great commission. Where do we do this? In Winchester, Kentucky and not only here but throughout the world. That, that is why we exist. That is why Ephesus is here. We cannot lose sight of that. We are to glorify God. That is chief. That is number one. We do that by obeying the great commandments to love God, love people, 
and fulfilling the Great Commission to go and make disciples, baptize them, teach them. Remember that Christ is with us in this, and we are to do this in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and throughout the world. We are to do this where we're at and around the world. Now, as a church, if we are going to find success like the early church did, if we're going to expand the kingdom of God like they did, I think as a church we must advance God's kingdom by following His blueprints for success. We need to cast aside all traditional models. We need to cast aside all denominational concepts. And we need to get back to God's Word, God's blueprint, and we follow what we find there, and we advance God's kingdom the way that He has spelled out, and we will find as a church spiritual success. I want to invite you to stand with me if you're able this morning. As we read from Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 40, and we find here a portrait of purpose. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 40, and Luke writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It says, And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continuing, continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place to the apostles. And all, who, all of those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with anyone as they might have need. Day by day, continuing with one, with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, we again open up your word today. Father, with the conviction that this indeed is your word. If it is your word, then God, as you are true, this word must be true. It is a reflection of your character. If it is your word, this, this word must be authoritative because, God, you are the chief authority. And, Lord, as such, we are called as your people to surrender and submit to the teaching of Scripture. God, as a church, we ought to model our ministry upon the blueprint that we find in Scripture. So, Lord, as we are a church that seeks to act with purpose, I pray that we would look at this portrait of purpose today and glean valuable lessons for how we ought to function and what we are to focus on as a body of believers. Father, speak to us, we pray as we prepare our hearts to receive your message. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When we come to the book of Acts, there is an interpretive question that a lot of people will bring to this book of the Bible, and it is this. Do we find in Acts, is what we find there formative, or is it normative? In other words, 
do we see in the book of Acts something that was unique only to the forming of the church and now that the church has been established, the book of Acts is no longer completely an example for us to follow? Or is the book of Acts normative? Is this what normal Christian behavior in church life looks like? Now, I think we find a little bit of both because Acts was a unique period of time and, and the church was, was birthed and the church was led by the apostles. But I do think we find in Acts chapter 2 a picture of the church that has already been formed and established. This was how the first church operated, and therefore I believe we find normative examples for us to follow as a church. Now, how did the church get to this point in chapter 2? Let's go back and look in chapter 1. We see that several things that was going on there. First of all, we saw in chapter 1 that the early church was witnesses. They were witnesses to the risen Christ as Jesus appeared to them in the beginning of chapter 1. The early church was concerned for Israel's restoration. We read in verse 6. We see the early church was united in prayer as, the, as chapter 1 continues to unfold. We also see they were alerted to his second coming. They were waiting for the return of Christ. They were led by 12 apostles as the early church at the end of chapter 1 came to the understanding that there's only 11 of us now. Judas has, has hung himself. Judas has committed suicide. There's only 11. Jesus called 12. There ought to be 12. And so by God's direction, they selected a 12th apostle. We move into chapter 2, and we see that they were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the Lord's Day, they were together, presumably in prayer and worship. The Holy Spirit was poured out on them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. From that point forward, the church began to be a group of people that were gathered together, who were united together, and who were filled together with the Holy Spirit. And then we see as chapter 2 unfolds, they preach the gospel. They preach the cross of Christ. They preach the resurrection of Christ. And as folks heard and believed in the message, they were a church that baptized new members into the fellowship. And that's where we find ourselves at in this point in time. Now, I'll say all that to bring us to this point where we need to recognize the early church was in a position they were prepared for God to do great things. They placed themselves in a position they were expecting God to do big things. And indeed, God did bless them, and, and they were ready for greater things to take place. And because of that preparation and because of that readiness, because of that expectation, God was able to move in a powerful way. And I know that's what we want as a church. Now, let's see what they were prioritizing. Let's see what they were focusing on. And indeed, we see in verse 42, it says they were continually devoting themselves to these things. In verse 46, day by day continuing. Now this was not just some 
random behavior. This was not just some every now and then let's do this kind of stuff. This was continual devotion. What does that mean? It means this, to persist in, to be busily engaged with, to spend much time with. These were things that they concentrated on and they made it a priority to do these things. And as they did, God grew that church. So what are the practical lessons for us today? Well, the first thing is this. Let's make prayer a priority. Because that's clearly something the early church did. And and beginning next week, we're going to go and, and unfold the entire book of Acts and look at prayer there. Prayer was a major factor for them. Prayer was, I think, the key to success. As a church, if we're going to have any success, we have got to be a praying church. Look at verse 42d. It says, They were continually devoting themselves to, and we see at the end there, prayer is listed. Prayer is what? It's a humble recognition of our need for God. It's bowing ourselves before God and acknowledging that we have no wisdom without God. We have no direction without God. We have no real encouragement without God. And we have no power without God. Therefore, we come to Him in prayer. I read just this week, a prayerless church will be a powerless church. And if we're going to do any of these things that we find in the book of Acts, we have got to come to God in humble recognition and pray and seek His direction and His power. Make prayer a priority. We see it in the book of Acts. We see it here. It's both a private thing and it is a public thing. We ought to be praying as individuals. We've got to be praying Christians. And we should want to be praying Christians. Who as a believer would not want to spend time with God? It ought to come from our very nature. Individually and incorporately as we come together, we ought to be a house of prayer as we seek God together. Make prayer a priority. Secondly, make evangelism a priority. Evangelism. What is evangelism? literally means to tell the good news. To speak about the good news of Jesus Christ, who He is, what He's done for me as a person, what He is doing for us as a church. Make evangelism a priority. The early church did. Verse 40, it says, Peter said, with many other words, he solemnly testified. This was a solemn matter. This was an important matter. And it says, also, he kept on exhorting them. He kept on said, be saved. Be saved. This perverse generation is going to hell. Be saved. You don't have to follow the path of the world. Be saved from the wrath of God that is to come. He solemnly and continually exhorted the crowd. And also we see in verse 47, it says, they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. He was calling them, be saved. And as they heard and received, God indeed was saving. And how did God save? It was through the preaching of the gospel. 
It is, it is through hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. If we want people to be saved, we've got to be telling them about Jesus. Because that is the only way they will ever be saved. And I think we, we share the good news with the lost because we have a love for God. If we love God, we're going to fulfill the great commission, are we not? We share the good news of Christ because we love God and because we love people. If we have compassion on people, we ought to be telling them the good news of Jesus Christ because evangelism, I think, it is a behavior that flows from our belief. If we truly believe what the Bible says, that there is a hell, and if we truly believe that people who have not been born again by the grace of God are going there, and if we truly believe the only way they will escape the judgment of God is by the grace of God to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if we truly believe those things, our behavior will reflect it. Maybe the reason more of us are not telling people about Jesus is because maybe we really don't believe in our hearts what we say we believe with our mouths. Make evangelism a priority. Thirdly, make discipleship a priority. Verse 42, it says that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine or the apostles' teaching. And there we might say, aha, there is, a, there is an instance where we as a church today, 2,000 years removed, in a half a world removed, we cannot possibly duplicate that. The early church had the 12 apostles who walked with Jesus, who were called by Jesus, who were anointed by Jesus, they had them there living and breathing and teaching them all the things Jesus taught them. We cannot possibly duplicate that. However, I tell you this, we can. How in the world can we do that? Brother Todd, are you an apostle? No, I'm not an apostle in that strictest sense. There were only 12. And then others the Apostle Paul and so forth. But they're no longer with us. But you know what is still with us? God's Word. Their teaching, their doctrine is recorded for us in this book. The prophets and the apostles. Everything that God would have taught through them is available to us today. We've just got to open this book and study it and read it. Meditate upon it. Hear it preached and proclaimed in the power of God. We can do that same step. We can make discipleship a priority because we have the doctrine. Discipleship is about more than just making converts. We said that last week. It's about making followers of Jesus Christ and leading them to maturity in their faith and in their practice. You know what? That doesn't happen accidentally. We can't just say, okay, let's share the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's baptize them and bring them into the church and say, good for you. Now be a disciple. You know what? It takes intentionality. It takes somebody who is willing to spend time with somebody. Somebody who's willing to share their life and somebody who's willing to share their wisdom and their experience. Somebody who's willing to walk alongside a follower of Jesus Christ to make them a disciple. It's intentional. And that, I believe, is why, ladies and gentlemen, a lot of churches fail today. Because they're all about getting folks saved, and that's good. 
But once we get them saved and baptized, we're just kind of letting them languish out there in the world. We're not teaching them and showing them what it means to be a mature follower of Christ. We're not showing them practically how to grow in the faith. We need to be intentional, make discipleship a priority in our church. Next, we need to make fellowship a priority. Fellowship. We see this all over this passage and throughout the book of Acts. Look at verse 41. It says, So then, those who had received this word were baptized. That was the initiation rite. They, they heard the word, they received the word by faith, and then as believers, they were baptized in that order. Don't ever baptize someone until they hear the message and believe it. That's why we as Baptists practice what we call believer's baptism. We believe this is the picture of what we see in the early church. Those who received the word were baptized, verse 41, and on that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Added to what? Added to the fellowship. Added to the church. The word church in Greek is ekklesia. It means the called out ones. We've been called out of the world. We've been called out of the darkness into the body of Christ, into the lights, the marvelous lights. We have fellowship because why? We're, we're different. We're unique. As Brother Steve prayed, we're peculiar according to the book of Titus. We're different, but yet we're different together. We share something in common. The word fellowship in Greek is koinonia. That's a fun word to say, koinonia. If you've never said that before, say it, koinonia. It's, it's a neat word. It means fellowship. Literally, it means to share something in common. Ladies and gentlemen, we share something in common. Now look around this room. You see, you see all different ages, different backgrounds. We see different gender, male and female different social, economic, different educational levels. We're, some of us have lived in different places, maybe born in different places, had a lot of different experiences. And maybe you don't share anything in common with another person in this room except this. If you are a Christian, you share Jesus in common. You share the Holy Spirit in common. You share the faith in common. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And guess what? If you're in Christ, you share that with one another. As the church, we have fellowship. We have koinonia together. Something that makes us different, yet something that unites us. The early church was a united church. They were not divided. That doesn't mean they always saw eye to eye on everything as the book of Acts unfolds. We see that. There's differences of opinions, and that's okay. But at the end of the day, we're all about advancing the kingdom of God. We're all about giving glory to God. And if that's what we share, we share fellowship together. Now, there's food involved. You know, that's a, as Baptists, we say that, that, that's, we're, we're biblical. There's food involved because we see that. Here in this passage, look at verse 44. It says, And those who had believed were together. They had all things in common. Verse 46, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They were together in the temple, in public. They were together personally in house to house. They shared not just meals together, but they shared life together. 
They shared burdens together. They shared victories together. They shared hope together. They shared Jesus together. Church, that's, that's what it's about. That's what fellowship really means. It's not just food. That's, that's a major part of it, though, as we share a meal together. It's about something much deeper. It's about sharing the gospel and Christ together. They were a church that were united. And also it says in verse 46, with gladness and sincerity of heart. It wasn't a, a forced cohabitation. Well, we'll be in the same church together, but I really don't like them. It was a genuine, sincere fellowship. It was a glad fellowship. Fellowship was a priority in the early church. It ought to be a priority here. Fifthly, we need to make ministry a priority. Ministry a priority. And you say, well, that's what you do, preacher. You're the minister. What does ministry mean? It means, it means service. It means, it means meeting needs. Guess what? We're all ministers. We're all called to serve and to help others, especially when it comes to our church family. Verse 45 says this. It says, They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And you might say, what, were they a commune? Was this a socialist group? No. Because we just read a while ago, it says they met from house to house. That means some of them owned their own houses. They kept their houses. What it says is this, they sold their property as anyone had need. That means they were unselfish. They saw somebody was struggling and somebody had a burden financially. They said, you know what, I got a little extra this on the side. You know what, I'm going to have a yard sale. <laughs> Get rid of what I call junk. One man's junk is another man's what? Treasure. I'm going to make a little extra money and what I'm going to do with this money is I'm going to help my struggling brother and sister. That's what was going on there. Has anyone had need? They sold some stuff and helped each other. Why did they do that? Well, in that cultural setting, they had this going on. These were Jews. And for them to what? Be baptized in the name of Jesus? Guess what that did? It, it, it drew a line of separation between Jewish families and those Jews who were to follow Christ. In many situations, they were kicked out of their homes, they were ostracized, they were fired, they lost their jobs, or no one in the community would, would buy their goods anymore. They were cut off. Where would they go? They had no place to eat, no place to stay. Many of these folks that we read in Acts chapter 2 were from all over the globe. They had come to Jerusalem to worship and suddenly they heard this gospel, got saved, and they joined this fellowship in Jerusalem. They had nowhere to live. They needed one another. And the early church recognized, hey, there's a need there. What can I do to meet that need? It was a service mentality. It was a ministry mentality. You know, as Christians, we are to do good to all people. Paul says that in Galatians 6. But you know what he says right after that? Do good to all people, especially to those 
of the household of faith. We are to be benevolent to all people who have needs, but even more so, especially, we have a greater responsibility and a higher obligation to take care of our fellow church members. You know what? If, and, I, and, I, and my mind thinks this way sometimes, you know, because there are needs out there. There are legitimate needs. But if, but if every person in our nation was a member of a local church, and if every local church was an Acts chapter 2 church, there'd be no need for welfare. There'd be nobody standing on the side of the road begging. There'd be no need for these things. Why? Because the church would take care of its own and everybody was a part of the church. I know that's a pipe dream because there are people that want nothing to do with the organized church, but that is a benefit to church membership. We take care of our own. It means if you're hungry, then then by golly, this church had better be the first group to rise up and do something about that. If you are hurting, this body of believers in this room ought to be the first responders on the scene. What can we do? Now, it goes both ways. If there's a need, then, then you ought to be you ought to be open enough and humble enough to say, hey, I've got a need. And, that, and that's a problem a lot of us, it's a hurdle many of us don't want to cross. But if you can't be honest and open and trustworthy with your church family, who can you be honest and open with? It means we've got to communicate the two-way street. You see, sometimes there are needs that go unmet because those needs are unknown. Now, we, we keep our eyes and ears open and, and, we, and we look and we listen, but sometimes needs fall through the crack because we're not omniscient. Your, your pastor is not all-seeing. If there's a need, I'd love to know about it because it's what the church is about. We help one another. And the early church made ministry a, a priority. and We ought to do the same. That means we serve And there are times where we need to be served. And that's swallowing our pride and allowing the church the privilege of doing what the church wants to do. Let's serve one another. Make ministry a priority. Finally, make worship a priority. Worship. The importance of of corporate gathering. Verse 42, it says this, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. We might say, well, there, there, there they are eating again. But I think in this context, the breaking of bread literally is the Lord's Supper. It was an act of, of corporate worship. You see, they baptized and, and, and initiated people into the fellowship, and then they worshiped together, and they celebrated the ordinance of the Lord's Supper together. The breaking of bread that symbolizes the breaking of the body. The drinking of the cup which symbolizes the shedding of the blood. They were a church that was a gathering, worshiping church. A church that expressed its, its gratitude to God. A church that worshiped Him together. These were believers together who had received the word. These were believers that were part of the covenant family. They'd been baptized and and united in in fellowship together. These were people that celebrated the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. These were people that celebrated His marvelous grace together. 
They were continually devoting themselves. They made corporate worship a priority because it was something they wanted to do. It was something that just naturally flowed out of, I'm saved, I'm a part of the body of Christ, I need to be with other members of the body of Christ. The New Testament has no concept of this Lone Ranger Christianity that we see in Western culture today. People say, well, I believe. I believe in Jesus. i got Jesus in my heart. I don't need the church. I don't want the church. <laughs> what do we read in the book of Acts? They believed, they got baptized, and they continually devoted themselves to these things. We need the church, or else the church would have never been created as an institution by God. We need to be a part of what God is doing. We need to serve the body of Christ. You can't serve the body of Christ if you're not in the body of Christ. They made worship a priority. Verse 46, it says, Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple corporately, breaking bread from house to house privately. Worship was not just a private matter. It was a public matter together. Verse 47, praising God, having favor with all the people. We see this about worship in the book of Acts. It was both structured and spontaneous. There were times they came together when they were supposed to come together, and there were times that they came together and worshiped just out of the blue. We see this. Worship was both reverent and rejoicing. It was dignified, but never dull. Is that a reflection of our worship? And I challenged you last week. Be open, be expressive, be celebrative. We ought to be the happiest folks in all the world. They came together with gladness. You see. And sincerity of hearts. Gladness and sincerity. These are character traits. We talk about the fruit of the Spirit. It's evidence that the Holy Spirit's got a hold of your heart and your life and you look like and you think like and you act like Jesus. We ought to be the gladdest folks in all Clark County. Because we got the gospel, we got hope, we got Jesus. We ought to come together. They came together often. It says day by day. It wasn't just, well, just you know, one hour a week. I'll hang out with them folks because I guess I, that's my responsibility. It's my duty. It was a privilege. They got together every day just so they could encourage and bless each other. Because you know what corporate worship is? We come together in this room and we're from all different walks of life but yet we come together and we share Jesus and we praise Him together. You know what it is? This is a dress rehearsal for heaven. Because what are we going to do in heaven? We're going to be together with all Christians of all the world across all the ages. We're all going to be together. It's going to be one big church. And we're going to worship Jesus together. To some of y'all, that might sound like the most boring thing in the world. An eternal church service. But it's going to be real. It's going to be vibrant. It's going to be, it's going to be exciting. There's going to be nothing like it. No, no service on earth will ever rival what's going to happen in heaven. 
But we come together because that's what we're going to do in, in heaven, folks. There's not going to be, well, I'm going to be in heaven. I'm just going to, I'm going to, grip, I'm going to get my corner of property. It's me and Jesus. Y'all do what y'all want to do. Leave me alone. Bunch of hypocrites, leave me alone. That's what folks act like today. That's not going to be heaven, folks. It's not going to be glory. It's going to be all of us together with all them others together. Maybe even some Methodists and some Presbyterians and Church of God, maybe a little bit of all. It's going to be everybody who's truly born again. We're all going to be together. Why not do that now? Why not do that now? Because that's obviously God's will for His people. It's what we're going to do forever. Make worship a priority. Now, you know, in school, they, they teach you different ways to, to memorize and remember things. And, and one of the effective tools for this is, is the acrostic sentence, where, where you, you take each word of a point and you kind of make a little sentence out of it. helps you to remember now, one of my seminary professors had a very effective tool, a very effective sentence for remembering the six purposes of the local church. What is that sentence? Here it is. Perhaps even dead frogs might wiggle. <laughs> what in the world is that? Prayer, evangelism, discipleship, fellowship, ministry, worship. Perhaps even dead frogs might wiggle. You take each letter of the first of these six purposes you make a statement out of it perhaps even dead frogs might wiggle now I've never forgotten that <laughs> it's it, it stuck with me and I can't off the top of my head just, just rattle them off without first thinking about that statement and then it helps me remember now it's a funny sentence but it has a serious effect because when we do these things like the early church did what was their result? Look at verse 47. Praising God, having favor with all the people. We want to have favor with God and people because that's what Jesus did. Look at the end of Luke chapter 2. Grew in favor with God and with men. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be like the early church. Praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day. That means every day folks got saved. Wasn't just Sunday mornings, wasn't just during revival. Day by day, those who were being saved, it was ongoing salvations. Isn't that what we exist for? Isn't that what we want to see at Ephesus? It will, don't we want to see every day, day by day, God adding to our number those who are being saved? If that's the result the early church experienced, then shouldn't we expect the same results? If we operate in the same manner they did, if we make these things a priority like they did, then we should expect these things. As a church, we must advance God's kingdom by following His blueprint for success. And if we ready ourselves, if we prepare ourselves, and if we expect greater things from God, as great as things are, let's dream bigger. Let's expect more. Let's, let's have a, a giant, let's have a God-sized vision for Ephesus Baptist Church. 
What does that look like? What is your role? We surrender to God. Let's make these things a priority. Prayer, evangelism, discipleship, fellowship, ministry and worship. Let's focus on these things. Let's glorify God. If we do these things, guess what we're doing? We're obeying the great commandments. We're fulfilling the great commission. We'll do this here in Winchester and by the grace of God around the world. Again, to the glory of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this portrait of purpose that we find here in Acts chapter 2. We see the blueprint. that We see the, the model that we strive to reach. There is no such thing as a perfect church. Even, even the early church was, 